Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for this day, and I thank you, Lord, that uh, we're here today. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless this time that we have. I ask, Father, that uh, you would uh, guide and direct the time and, and uh, guide and direct my words. Lord, help me not to go astray or present just my own ideas, Lord, but instead I pray that you help me to be true to your word and present those things accurately. And all these things I just pray in your name. Amen. All right. I'm going to make sure this thing is... There we go. Good. Um, as you know, we've been studying Ephesians. And uh, there's just a couple of reminders I want to give before we just jump into it, okay? Uh, those of you that have been here the whole time, some of these things you've probably heard every single time. Uh, but one big reminder that's important, you just can't forget this, or it, it just things don't make sense, would be that verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 all the way down to verse 14, is one big long sentence in the original, Right? I mean, it's way longer than what we could accurately do. But in, in the Greek language, you could do that. You could write a long sentence like that, and it wasn't inaccurate. They, they, were, they had the ability to do run-on sentences, and it was still grammatically correct. But knowing that kind of helped. I mean, that's an important thought, isn't it? I mean, if, if you know that Paul originally had one big long sentence, and that kind of plays into uh, your understanding of, of what's going on in verses 3 to 14. And so uh, that's what we've been doing. And, and so I want to look at that, and I think I've got a slide here. I'm going to click ahead. There we go. Uh, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read those. This is what we've covered so far. And I'm going to read these again and put them up on the slide for you if you, if you don't have your Bible with you. Uh, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a way that Paul is saying, praise God. Right? Because we can't bless God with something. We can't give God anything. He has everything already. And so that was a way to say, praise God. We're, we're, we're blessing God with our lips and with praise. And we're worshiping as, as who He is. So Paul started, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, why is he praising God? He goes on, he says, Who has blessed us, okay, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so Paul's saying, I'm praising God because he's blessed us with every, not, not just some, but every imaginable spiritual blessing, he's blessed us. How's he done that? There's two kind of qualifiers there. In Christ and Right? In the heavenly places. Now, that in the heavenly places is only used in, in, in Ephesians. We've talked about that. Uh, that and so Paul's saying, hey, we've, we've been given every... I mean, we're, we're lacking nothing spiritually speaking. God has given us everything. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Right? They're not tangible. Some of those spiritual blessings are tangible. They're in the heavenlies. Right? In the spiritual realm. They're, they're there. And they're also in Christ alone. He goes on, verse 4, he says, Even as, or according to, or, or this blessing has happened because of, right? Even as, or according to, how He chose us in Him, talking about in Christ, when did this happen? Before the foundation of the world. Not just before the creation, but before the, the beginning thoughts of even what the world was. Before that happened, right? Paul says, before the foundation of the world, He chose us. What did He choose us for? He goes on, he says, that we should be... Right? Not just act, not just do, but that we should actually be holy and blameless before Him. That's a lot, isn't it? Now, we've taken several weeks to talk about that so far, and so even though my temptation as a teacher as well is to go back and review, 
right? I want to go back and review and like quiz you and things like that. But I, I don't have time for that today. And so uh, instead, I'm going to say, hey, if, if any of that, you, you just heard any of that, and you thought, wow, mm, I missed that one or I didn't catch that. And you've got questions about that. In the afternoons, we're going to try to make some times before we do our afternoon stuff to give you chances to ask questions. Now, that thing there, I remember you talking about that or I wasn't there that week. What did that mean? And, and we can do some things like that at that time. But now we're getting into verse 5. Now, you may have noticed I left off two words. At the very end of verse 4 is the words, in love. And, and, and you know, those verse divisions weren't written by Paul. Those were, those were added in hundreds of years later. And, and they kind of got the verse division off a little bit. That in love actually goes with verse 5. And so I'm going to pop this next one up there. In love, it says, and I, I didn't put it up there with it, but in love, verse 4, he predestined us, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Now, before we go any further, i got a question for you. When you think about, when I say the word adoption, what are, what are the thoughts that pop into your head right away? I say adoption, and, and what are some things that just immediately pop into your head? Puppies? <laughs> I thought you said poppies for a second. I was trying to figure out flowers. What is it? Good? Okay. What else? New life, new home, good. Chosen. What else pops into your head when you think about adoption? New parents. New parents. Anybody think about orphans? Choices. Choices. These are all good. These are all good. There's no specific right. I don't have like a. They must say this down here. I'm just. I just want to know what. What's that? Oh, it's it can be absolutely life changing, can it? Right. I mean, these are the kinds of things that pop into our minds when we think about adoption. Now, we get these ideas from, and, and like, like what, what was your name? I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Erica. Like Erica said, it, personal experience, right? And that's true for all of us. Our, our experiences of life is what draws, I mean, this is where we get our ideas from. And so sometimes when you read the Bible, you have to ask yourself every once in a while, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about this because of how I've experienced life, but what was Paul thinking when he wrote this? And it's actually very interesting. So I want, to, I want to look at that just a little bit. What was Paul referring to? I mean, adoption was a Roman thing, right? Paul lived in this Roman Empire, right? He was part of the Roman Empire. In fact, he claims citizenship more than once, and he uses that to his advantage a couple times. And so Paul had this idea of Roman adoption in mind. Adoption is a picture that Paul uses more than once. We actually talked about, uh, somebody read Romans 8 this morning when they were reading and, and talked about adoption. That was another illustration from Paul. Also in Galatians chapter 4, uh, adoption is discussed by Paul. So this is an illustration that Paul uses more than once. Now you had some interesting things about it, but in that ancient world 2,000 years ago where Roman law prevailed, this would have been an even more meaningful picture. I'm going to give some elements of Roman adoption that might help you understand what Paul was talking about. First of all, this one is kind of strange, but first of all, let me pull this one up there. Uh, Roman adoption, right? It says he predestined us for adoption. Uh, When I think about this idea of adoption, Paul is actually referring to adults. In the Roman world, the majority of... They weren't going around adopting orphans and adopting young children. For the most part, it was adults. Now, that's different, isn't it? When you think about, I'm, I'm going to adopt somebody as a grown adult, right? And so, okay, if that's the case, then there's some different things going on with Roman adoption, wasn't there? Uh, I mean, they, and that's what they did. Specifically, it was done with adult males. Uh, a, a person would adopt an adult male. Um, 
They were taken into their family. Another thing that's true is they had what was known as uh, patria potestas. That's Latin for father power. I, I, I saw that and I thought, I would like a shirt that says that. You know, it's the father power, right? I, you know, patria potestas. What does that mean? Father power. That, what that means is that for the Romans, the father had full power over his family, right? Now, my, my dad's smiling already. He likes this. He's... He's grinning big. Uh, This means that the father, in Roman times, the father had so much power over his family. He had the right, under law, to even uh, condemn his children or pass judgment on his children without the government involved. Right? In fact, they have written, old Roman written records where they have cases where the, the father had even condemned his child to death. Right? He had judged his child. His child had committed this crime. And he, now, it was encouraged under Roman law that you, the father go to the Roman magistrate, but he didn't have to do that. And so we actually have written records, old Roman records, where fathers in cities, they, they, their son had committed. He didn't have to take him to court. He, could, hey, he had full right to even condemn his children. In fact, every gift that was given to a child became the property of the father, as long as the father was alive. And, and that would even carry into, you could have a son that was grown and even holding public office, but his father was still over him. Patria potestas, right? Father power. He had the power. And that, so that was going on in the Roman world. So that, that's an important element to understand when we think about adoption, right? A third thing here is that there was a, an important ceremony. Uh, the ceremony uh, had to do with changing families. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to go, oh, that's definitely different than what I think about adoption. Uh, the, the adoption ceremony was carried out by a symbolic sale, uh, right? Uh, not sale like sailboat, but sale like I'm going to sell you, right? And actually, what would happen would be the original family's father would symbolically sell his son to this other father. And then he would buy him back, and then he would sell him again. Right in this ceremony, it was symbolic. And then he would buy him back, and then for a thir- on the third time, he would sell him, and he wouldn't buy him back. Right now, there's something that sticks out in my mind real quick here. First of all, he's selling the kid. Okay, that's kind of different, uh, right? Uh, uh, there's a lot of words. That- but notice, I said, who's doing the selling? The old father, the original father. So we're not even talking about cases. Most of these cases weren't even with uh, orphans. We're talking about an adult. Male selling off his grown son to another father. Right? You're going to leave this and go into this. Right? Now, I don't want to see my dad smiling now. Sell him, sell him off. I could make some money off this kid. Right? But, I mean, this is, this is different than what we think of, isn't it? Don't you think that information is important in understanding? When, when Paul says adoption, he's not thinking about a baby, right? Or a young child that was orphaned. He's talking about buying, pulling into his family from another family, right? Another established family. I mean, these are important things to keep in mind when we think about this concept. Uh, I want to put this up here, this as well. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my dad to go back. That TV back there, that usually has my slides. That's why I can't see what's going on behind me. I need a mirror, a rear mirror right here. Uh, just turn that on. It should show up. That way you have, I don't have to keep turning around. There you go. Oh, not working. All right, 
there's a thing on the floor. Hit the power button on it. I'll keep going. Uh, notice this here. It says, the person who had, this one theologian wrote it this way, the person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. That's what Roman adoption was about. Now, lest we forget, though, I need to throw this reminder in here. You start thinking about all these things to do with this Roman adoption of families. And obviously your brain starts to figure out, okay, that a lot of this had to do with maybe a father who wanted to continue on his family and his home, right? And there's probably name issues. Like, okay, I want to, maybe he didn't have a son of his own and so he needed to bring somebody in. And, and even if you study old Roman literature, you see those kinds of things where maybe a, a Caesar brought this person in. Now he's my son and so I can pass off the throne to this guy, right? This was a general, but now he's my son, right? There's things like that going on. But... But here we, we look at this and we think, oh, wow, this is amazing, these things. But don't forget, right? What Paul is referring to is being adopted by God. I mean, when, when I was studying this, I'm sitting here thinking about Roman adoption, all these things. And it just reminds wait a minute. Paul's talking about, though, being adopted by God and brought into his family. I know that one uh, one of my friends uh, that I teach with, uh, he's of a, a different religion. He has a different religion that he follows. And I, I got a chance this last week to sit down and talk to him. And, and, and one of the things he shared with me about his religion, I'm just asking him questions. He's, he's of the Baha'i faith. And, and one of the things I was, we were talking about, and, and this is actually true with many of the other religions that are in the world, God, to him, is not someone who is knowable. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, you can know what God wants. And in fact, if you talk to anyone who's Islamic, many times they'll talk about God's will, Allah's will, right? They'll talk about those things. This is what God wants. But, but God is not knowable the way I can get to know one of you. In fact, this, this friend of mine, he said, he said, yeah, well, you can know God kind of the way he said, for example, he, he was talking about, he goes, he goes I, I've got a dog. And he says, I, I can get to know my, my, my dog knows me, Right? But my dog doesn't know me the way, like, my wife knows me, right? Because we're a different level of being, he said. And, and, and a little bit of that goes, yeah, I can see it, because God is infinitely greater than we are. But the, here's the truth, though. The Bible's full of examples where God, God, invites us to get to know Him. The Bible presents a God that wants you to get to know Him. And this is one of the big fallacies about Christianity. So many people look at Christianity and think it's about morality and being good. And those things are in there, but that's not really what it's about. Christianity is about the fact that God has made it possible that you can know Him. It's about a relationship. All the moral stuff... It's kind of like, for example, in, in my home, I, I love my wife and I, I want to get to know her better all the time and things like that. And so there's things that I do not because my wife is dictating, you must do this and you must do that. And, but, but it's about the fact that I love her and I know what she likes. I know what she wants. It's a joy to do those things. Right? It's a joy to do those things. See, Christianity is about, isn't about the morality issue like you must do. And so many people, that's how they view Christianity. It's like, oh, it's just a bunch of going to church and they make you do this and this. No, no, you're missing it. Christianity is about the fact that God, the guy that created everything is saying, I want 
to get to know you. I want you, more importantly, to get to know me. Because see, really God already knows you. But he's inviting you into a, an actual relationship. And according to Paul, it's not just a neighborly one. It's an adopted into my family kind of relationship. And then suddenly you start to read all these things in the Bible. Like for example, in, in the book of John, John talks about, at the very beginning of John, he talks about how, how God is, is able to say things like, you may be called the sons of God. Or like that passage in Romans that we read earlier where, where Paul says, we, we have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And, and many of you know that, that Abba was a Jewish way of saying, Daddy. Right? Which actually makes sense because that would be easy to teach a baby, wouldn't it? Abba. Right? A young child, Abba. And that's, that's what's going on. And God, Paul is recognizing that, that God wants you to get to know Him in a close, personal way. And you know, Jesus Himself, He says, when you pray, pray, our, our Father. Right? It's a relationship. And God is inviting us into relationship. You know, it's interesting because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm expressing these things to you. And I wrote on the side of my notes, on the, on the margin, I wrote in quotes, I wrote the word wonder. Right? Because I was sitting there studying this stuff and I'm going... I mean, my, 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 have you ever had that happen? You're sitting there, you're, you're reading something, or something, and you just have that sense of, this is amazing. It, it, but it's so hard because you, you have that going on, and then you want to share it. it it's kind of like when you watch a really interesting show, and you're trying to tell somebody how interesting it was, and you, they have to get to get that glazed look on their eyes, like, yeah, I'm sure it was. You know, and, and you know, and you're trying to express it, you're, you're losing, something's being lost in the translation. But... That's my desire to stir up within you this realization, this sense of wonder about what God has done. It's not about religion. It's about the fact that God is inviting you into relationship with himself. It's personal. Right? It's very personal. But now Paul is going to go on past this because he he, he says this adoption. But then there's two clarifying statements that he makes. Because, see, you could read that and still understand all these things about adoption, but it could throw you off a little bit. Because it, when I think about this Roman adoption, I start to get the idea, okay, here's a guy, maybe he wants to pass on his you know, huge inheritance to somebody else. And, and so maybe, I, I can only imagine that in, in Roman times, they may be looking at, this guy may be looking at, well, I don't have a son of my own, or my, my son, he's you know, a reject you know, or something, and I want somebody who's worthy of passing on all this too. And so they may be looking at somebody to grab and pull in and, and say, okay, this is a guy, I can, I'm going to adopt him as my son. Maybe it's somebody he knows, somebody that's worked with him. So he's been a mentor to this person already. And now he says, you know, I, I'm going to adopt you as my son. And so you can come into this. But Paul throws in two clarifying statements. The first one, I believe I have for you here, is he says this. He says, we've been adopted as a son. He says, through Jesus Christ. That word through means the grounds or reason by which something is done. That's the word that's translated through there. That's what it means. It's the grounds or reason by which something is done. See, unlike Roman adoption, God has an honorable son already. There, there wasn't a need here. God wasn't lonely. He said, I need some people. 
there's something actually very different happening here because yes, yes, adoption like what Paul's thinking about, but there's something very different. See, because God has a son who's honorable, obedient even to the point of death on a cross. There's that son there. And so unlike Roman adoption, God adopts children into his family not based on their qualities, but based on the qualities of Jesus. Right? It wasn't something in you. He saw it. Oh, that's, that's a good one. I want that guy. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm going to bring him. Oh, uh, I like, no. Okay, no. Oh, that's good right there. No, no. Instead, you see this picture that God paints of the world, that, that the whole world is opposed to God. The Bible describes this as before we were, we were by nature objects of wrath. By our very nature, we were, we, we were things that are opposed to get Him. We, we, were, we were sinners by nature. We were opposed to God. There's nobody. In fact, Romans chapter 3. You read through Romans chapter 3 and God says, I mean, there's nobody that seeks after God. It's not like anybody was sitting there going, God, please, I want to be part of your family. Instead, you see something very different painted by Scripture that, that everyone was opposed to God, opposed to Him. And so instead of God looking and saying, oh, here's some people that are trying to find me, I'm going to adopt them in. Instead, what you see in this, He says, hey, this is done through Jesus, through His qualities, through who He is. And that's why Paul in Romans describes this not just as heirs, but as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Full established sons the way Jesus is an established son that same level of relationship God invites us into but it's not based on through you and through what you did but instead it's based on through Jesus Christ on his account that's the gospel message that God is pulling people into his family not based on what you've done but based on what Jesus did that's a a wonderful aspect of real Christianity that everybody that comes into this and wants to be a part of this and is, is, is a Christian, the very basic element of becoming a Christian is saying, I, I've got nothing to offer God. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not good. That's another fallacy a lot of people have with Christianity. They, they think Christians, oh, they think they're better than everybody. And hey, some of us, that's what we do, don't we? We come across like that. But the reality is, becoming a Christian is recognizing, I've I'm a sinner, right? I haven't done what I needed to do to deserve this. I haven't done those things. Jesus did. And so God can adopt us in his sons based on Jesus. And so that's the first qualifying statement. And you'd have to add that, because if you just said adoption and you didn't throw this in, you might start to get some prideful thoughts about yourself. Yeah, yeah, right? As well, you see, let me see if I, I'm, I'm missing my place in my notes here. You see the second clarifying statement right after that. This is the same verse, verse 5. Uh, where adoption, uh, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will is the next statement. Uh, I like how the King James puts it. It doesn't say according to the purpose of his will. It says according to his good pleasure. That word according to means down from. In fact, sometimes that word that's translated according to is translated after. Right? So let's think about it that way. Let's look at this passage. He says, uh, predestined for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ after the purpose of his will or after his good pleasure. Right? 
And so here we have God's good, and that's exactly what it means. It's one word in the original, but it's this word good pleasure. It's one word in the original, and it says good. I mean, genuinely good. God is good, and He's good all the time. According to His good, and it means thought or will or pleasure. And so according to, we've been adopted according to His good pleasure. Not according to anything that has to do with us, but according to, I just love how it says it, God's good pleasure. Right? You've been adopted as sons not because... In fact, let me put it this way. You're here today. And if you're a Christian, you're a Christian today. Not because you're good, but because God's good. It's easy to forget that. When you've been saved for a long time, and you've been a Christian for a long time, you've been in church for a long time, you, you start to get this picture that maybe you're here because you're good. And that's just not true. You're not here because you're good. You're here because God is good. According to His good pleasure. You're not here today because you were smarter than the other people in the world. In fact, some of you are going, that's true. <laughs> yeah, don't be looking at anybody else when you say that though. Uh, you're not here today because you were wiser or quicker with your wits to figure this out. You're not here today because you're more faithful. You're here today because God is good. Left to yourself, none of, none of us would be a part of this. And those of us that might be here still would be here for completely the wrong reasons. It is God that's good, not us. And we are here because of God's good pleasure. And there's some statements in the Bible that just phrases that just kind of put you in your place. This is one of those. Right? Listen to verse 5 in its entirety. In love, He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, according to His good pleasure. Unlike Roman adoption, where the Son may have played a part, you don't see that in this biblical adoption that God does. And so this is not a normal adoption. Paul is setting up this illustration. He sets it straight. It's adoption, yes, but through Jesus Christ on his account, according to God's good pleasure. You ask yourself, right? The theme for Ephesians that I've kind of presented to you is, how big is your view of God? I mean, don't forget the beginning of this verse even as well. Uh, he predestined us for adoption. Determined beforehand these things. Paul surprisingly to some of us, immediately, even though this whole big long sentence is a praise to God, blessed be God, Paul immediately, verse 6, he says these things, and instead of scratching his head or you know looking like this, he just says, praise God, right? The very next verse, verse 6 says, to the praise of His glorious grace. Right? That glorious grace. I mean, the word grace itself means unmerited favor. If something is really grace, it means that it's, it's favor bestowed upon you with no reason because of you, but entirely because of the giver. Right? If there's something that you've done to deserve this grace, then it's not grace. Because then it's deserved. But grace in the Bible is grace. It's unmerited, undeserved favor. 
And so Paul, he says these things, we've been adopted as sons, and maybe, I, I just can't help but wonder, he's marveling at it, and he, he just immediately, it's like he can't stop the sentence. He immediately turns and he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. That word glorious just it's like, is like jaw-dropping jaw, jaw grace. And I, can, I can just picture Paul writing it. We've been adopted as sons. And it was through Jesus because none of us were worthy. And, and it was according because, because God is good, not because of us. And jaw drops to the praise of his glorious grace. Now there's a little bit more in verse 6. And I want to su- summarize the rest of verse 6 with one word. And the Greek word here, if I can click ahead to it. Now, now you're thinking, wait a minute, Matt's wife's name is Charity. He just popped up chair too. <laughs> uh, that, that's the Greek word. Now, this Greek word is, is translated in, in, our, in my version as with which he has blessed us. That which he has blessed us. Now, this word is only used twice in the whole New Testament. Okay? It's used here. The other time that this word is used is when it's talking about Mary. Remember Mary, Jesus' mother? One of the things that it says about Mary is, is that she was highly favored among women. Does that sound familiar? Think about Christmas time, right? Mary, who's highly favored. Or Mary, full of grace. That's what it's talking about. That highly favored, care too, right? Uh, us. God has freely bestowed upon us. Highly favored. Same word. What's that mean? Well, the Greek word for grace is charis. Okay, so this is a version of that word. It's a version of grace. And it, it kind of has this idea of grace that's just bestowed. You, you're, you're full of it now, right? You're full of grace. Now, here's the thing. Mary was not full of grace because she was just a graceful person. Mary was full of grace because she was highly favored. There was nothing... It's not like God looked down and, and saw all the women at the time and said, Man, I'm, I'm looking for the right one and... Oh, now that's a good one right there. That's actually not true. And Mary herself, when she prays, and you read the words of Mary, she fully recognizes that. She's, I'm not worthy. Mary knew that it was completely of God's freely given favor bestowed upon her. Mary was full of unmerited favor. That's what grace means. Full of grace. It was unmerited, undeserved favor. And so Mary marveled and she, you know, she thought, you know, there's no reason why. I, who am I to be the one that, to carry this child? It's almost like it's not right. Paul's having that same kind of thought here. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely bestowed on us. You are highly favored people. God's grace has been abundant on you. Not a one of you can sit there and say, I deserve heaven because I did this or I did this. And, and some of us, we say, yeah, no, I, I get it. It's not of works. I, I know that. And, but, but let's not get the cart before the horse here. Because Paul even goes further to say, if you skip ahead to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, a very, very famous passage. For by grace are you saved. Right? There's an unmerited favor. You're saved by grace. Undeserved favor. It's a gift of God. He says, you know, but wait, I skipped him. For by grace are you saved in what? Through faith. What does he say right after that? And this, referring back to the faith, and this not of yourselves. I mean, Paul goes so far as to even say that even your faith is a gift of God. You can't even lay claim to that. You can't even lay claim to that. He says, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. God's salvation is worked in such a way 
that there will never be one person who can say, I did something that they did not. Instead, it's all grace. It's all undeserved favor on us. And we can say that we are, you know, full of grace, highly favored among people. I want to share the words of uh, Isaac Watts here. You guys know who Isaac Watts is? Isaac Watts, what's the song he's famous for writing? You guys know it's some song, isn't it? See, you're thinking, I know it's some song. Uh, I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Uh, but he wrote, he wrote this, and I'm going to have to turn around and read it. He wrote this at one point. He said, why was I made to hear his voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and, and rather starve than come? "'Twas the same love that spread the feast that sweetly forced us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin." Man, how big is your view of God? Have you brought yourself up a notch? I'm here today. I'm a Christian today because I'm good. I'm better. I did what God wanted, so now I'm, I'm in because of me. You need to get a fresh perspective of who is God and who you are. Now, what are we going to do with this? We we'll always want to throw in an application. I'm going to ask the question, what are we going to do with this? Number one, I think that when we say, what do we, what do, we do with this? What do we do with verse like this? What do we do with these big thoughts of God? I think we first of all need to do what Paul did. He immediately he says these things about God and this adoption and bringing into his family and, and all these things and these words that he's using and he immediately turns to praise. And so I'd say, number one, praise God or worship God. That word worship means to bend the knee. Literally, that's what it means. And when you worship God, it's not just about singing a song. It's about really genuinely saying, You're God, I'm not. I'm not here because I'm smarter, wiser, more faithful, better, etc. I'm not here for any of those reasons. In fact, let me say this. Maybe the reason why you're here today is because God is beginning to enact that grace on your heart. So I don't want to make the assumption that we're all in a state of salvation, but maybe you're here today. Maybe, maybe you're, God is opening up your eyes and your, your heart to those things. Maybe you've been around Christianity for a long time, but, but you, you've gotten to the place where you, you, you feel better. Maybe like that Pharisee that Jesus described, you, you'll sit there in the, the, the open public and look at a sinner and go, Thank God I'm not like this person. Maybe you've driven down the road through Danville and looked at somebody and said, Thank God I'm not like that. Right? That is condemned by Christ because he recognizes that it's only by grace. Only by grace. Grace alone. Nothing else. No works of righteousness that we have done. But by his grace alone are we saved. For myself, something that I, I do with these big kind of thoughts like this is... I'm going to pop this up here. It lends power into preaching. It, Remember the illustration I gave a minute ago when you watch something really interesting and then you feel like you want to tell somebody about how really amazing it was? Or like a dessert. Have you had a dessert that was so good? I mean, it's so good. And you just want to, you want to tell somebody about it. And, and you want to try to find words to describe how good it was. And you're trying to tell them how good this chocolate mountain of richness was. And you're trying to, you know, and it was mouth-watering. Oh, it's good. Right? And you're trying to tell them. And they're looking at you like, 
you've lost it. <laughs> you know, you're, you're nuts. Uh, and you're like, yeah, I had nuts on it too. It was really good. And, and, you know, and it's just not working, right? You can't quite find the words. But, but there's, a, there's a great relaxation when you recognize that salvation is by grace alone. Because I can come up here and, and I can do the best I can and study everything. And, and then I, okay, here we go, and present. But I know that the key element, the most important element, is not how I word everything. The key element is what God might do in your heart. And so I can sit back and, and okay, relax and present. And I can trust that if something stirs within you, it's not because of me. It's because of God. And, and maybe that's even what's really neat to think about is maybe that's even happening right now. It's not just about eloquent words. It's, it's about the fact that, I mean, this is the amazing element of preaching. That I can come up here and present things to you and you can hear it. And in the mix of all of that, somehow, I don't even know how it happens. In the mix of all that, God's Spirit can step into your heart and make it from being dead to alive. How does that happen? How does that happen? But that can happen today. And maybe even right now, you're, you're, you're feeling those twinges of life. You Maybe even if you're a Christian, you, you've been in this for a long time, and maybe you've gotten old and tired in your faith. But, but God has the ability, even in this situation, to, to stir up new life. Make you new again and again and again. Every day, His mercies are new every morning. And, and I can relax. And so when I think about preaching, I love these ideas, these big views of God, because I, it, it, I feel much more at ease. There's been, I'll admit there's been some weeks I, I'm preparing and I'm feeling, oh, I can't quite. And I'm, uh, and not this week. I was able to just say, this is all on you, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. As well, I want to add, stem from that thought into this one. I know that some of you have uh, either family members or uh, friends that are just dear to you. There's people that you love desperately. And, and the, the, the dessert illustration isn't adequate to talk about this, but you ever had that dessert so good? You want them to experience it, right? That doesn't do good justice to what we're talking about, does it? Because maybe, you've, you've sit, maybe God has opened up your eyes and you're, you're getting to know God. And God's doing things in you. I mean, He's stirring you to, to tears at times. He's stirring you to great joy, joy you've not had before. He's stirring up these things in you and He's working in your life and you're, you're experiencing it. Oh, it's so good. God is so good. God is amazing. And, and you have this welling up within you and, and, and you have these family members that don't, they don't love God. And it's not about, and you, you want to get past all the, I mean, they're, they're still thinking that when you talk about inviting them to church, they're still thinking about, you're saying this because I'm a bad person, right? And you're going, no, that's, you're, that's not, no, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that there's God, and you can get to know Him. And it's not based on what you do. It's based on the fact that Jesus was good and He came to this world. And you're trying to tell them this and you know it's just going in one hour or the other. And, it's, and then, so then you, you go, okay, Lord. And then you, you go to pray for the person. You pray, Lord, please work this in their heart. Lord, please do this. And have you ever prayed and you feel like you're... You, the feeling you get with prayer is you feel like there's this gigantic boulder. And you're trying to get it to move. Like, okay, God, I know that you can save this person. i got to get you to do it. And you're just trying to get them to, to move. And... and 
That's a horrible illustration. Let's think about it a little bit different. See, because God is a rock, yes. He's unchanging. He's unmovable. His purposes have been throughout eternity, have never changed. Maybe the reason why you're praying for this person and loving this person isn't about you being moved something within you. You just are a loving person. I love this person. Maybe God is so good and so loving and, and He's going to work something in that person's life. And in His love, He wants to involve you in the process. Right? He, he wants to, to do things within you to be a part of that. Maybe the reason why you're praying and loving somebody isn't because you're such a, just a faithful person, but maybe it's because God is faithful and He's loving and He wants to work that out in you. That could bring some power to prayer, couldn't it? Maybe the reason why I'm praying is not because of me, but because of God. And maybe He's going to do these things in me. You even see that in Jesus' prayers. There's times where Jesus would pray, right? Lord, glorify me as you glorified me back then. And he's getting ready to go to the cross. Now, was Jesus trying to move God? Now, make sure when I die, I'm, you know, make sure it all works. No, Jesus was saying, he knew what was going to happen, but he prayed for it anyway. Why? Because prayer isn't about informing God. In fact, there's times in the Bible where it says, God already knows what you need. He's not clueless in that. But instead, God, in His love, He's working things out according to His will. And maybe part of that working out is to, to bring you into the, I'm going to do something big and I want you to be a part of it. Pray for it. Right? That puts a different spin on things. And maybe me even saying that threw a wrench into your theology. I thought it was about trying to get God to do stuff. And maybe if I believed really hard, right? If I got enough faith, I got, you know, just mustard seed faith, I can, then God will hear me. No, 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 no. See, faith is, is kind of like viewing God correctly. And, and, and praying, what needs to happen is more and more, instead of praying, okay, I, I want what I want to get to happen, I'm going to try to change God so he'll be on my page. What's really going on, like Christ said, he says, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to pray these things, but what I really want is your will. And, and so, faithful prayer isn't about aligning God to get on to what you're doing. It's about saying, my prayers are going to begin to adjust to line up with what you're going to do. Right? And so as you begin to abandon my will and what I want and begin to really put yourself in God's hands, suddenly the desires of your heart and the things you want become the things that God wants and what He's going to do. And suddenly you can pray with confidence because you're lined up with God. He's going to do it. But now you're lined up with where he's at. That can stir up some real power in prayer. And, and suddenly, as you abandon those things and begin to hold on to the things of God, you can line up and that brings power. Finally, the fourth thing is to live as the children of God. This is the last thing I have for you. Live as children of God. To go back to the adoption theme, I want to share with you a, a long quote. But I'm going to share with you pieces at a time. This is the last thing I got for you. Uh, I'm going to read through this, okay? I read this first part a minute ago. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family 
were canceled out and abolished as if they had never existed. That is what Paul says that God has done for us. Think about that. Right? We were absolutely in the power of sin and of the world and God, through Jesus, took us out of that power into His power. This is that patria potestas, right? Father power. He took us out of that power into His power and that adoption cancels and wipes out the past and we are made new. We're in a new power. We're out of this patria potestas of the world and we're into God's family under His power, under His authority. We have passed from the family of the world and of evil into the family of God. But what is disturbing sometimes is how much we can have that inheritance and we know that God, we're part of His family, but yet still want to cling on to our rights in the old family. Right? It's this old family. Now, now, adoption means I'm out of this family and I'm into a new family and everything I have is the Father's. That's where the adoption illustration holds up because everything I have now is the Father's. It's all about Him. I'm under His power. But so many of us, this selfish, worldly existence, we're in the Father's power, but we, I, want, I want this, and I want this, and I want the white picket fence, and I want my life to go smooth, and I don't want to be sick, and I want, all, I want, I want, I want, I want. But I thought you'd left that power, that family, that earthly, for something heavenly. That's where we need to go. And... This ties back into all those other illustrations, but we have passed from this family into this one. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves that that's how we need to live. Can you imagine what it would feel like as a father if, if a child, you know, I just want the inheritance. I just, that's all I want. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Somebody was older and was going to pass on, and you see these family members, and they haven't been around ever, and they just show up because it's about time. Is he going to, you know, I want that inheritance. Some of us as Christians are very much like that. We want heaven, but we don't want anything to do with that relationship with God now. You have to question if that's a true son anyway, don't you? We need to remember those things. I mean, it's so clear when you think about it in a real-life example, but don't forget that's what it's like with God. He's adopted you in for the relationship. And He said, everything I have is yours. Every spiritual blessing. Sometimes we need to be reminded to live that way and not just want God for His inheritance, but want Him for the relationship. Right? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father... Lord, as I, I say that, that means more now than it did last week. That we can come to you and say, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I know there are those in this room that thank you that you have invited us into relationship with you. Father, I want to pray right now for those in this room that do not have that adopted relationship with you. Lord, regardless of whether or not they think they're, but we have all these words that we use, saved and, and going to heaven. And, and Lord, if we lay that aside, Lord, there's no relationship. And Lord, we know that you've invited them into relationship. And so, Lord, I want to pray right now because I, I believe 
that your heart is for those people in this room that do not have a relationship with you to, to have that. So, Lord, I want to pray for everyone in this room, Lord, the, those that do not have that relationship, especially, Lord, that do not have that relationship with you. Maybe they're moral, maybe they're good, but they don't know you. Father, I pray for them. I pray, Lord, that you would adopt them into your family so that they might get to know you. I pray that you'd work that within their heart today, that they would get to know you. Lord, I pray that you would take them from death into life. Father God, I pray that you would help us who are children to live that way. Lord, help us not to be uh, unfaithful to you and, and still try to cling to that old family. Lord, help us to abandon all rights that we have in that family and, and cling to our new family. Father, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.